Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Nine State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina, and joining me again this week, uh, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great, Joe. How about you? Not too bad. Um, I'm, you know, it's getting a little bit chillier out. Uh, I noticed this week is going to be mostly cool, um, but looks like the rain maybe is going to hold off for most of the week, I, I hope. So it looks like our, uh, our remaining teams are going to get to, uh, you know, at least a uh, you know, regu- or, uh, nice November weather to, uh, to practice the rest of this weekend, but um, we're looking pretty good. Yeah, heading into that last game, the championship game, you don't want to be, you know, messing around in the gym or going to the dome or whatever, right? You, you want to be out on the field, getting your game plan in, soaking the time outdoors in with your teammates and stuff. Uh, so hopefully the weather holds. Yeah, looking looking pretty good. I I did see earlier today. I think Thursday is going to be almost like seventy, uh, at least in at least in Nashua, which is that's just kind of a strange change there. Yeah, we're going to go forties all week and then high sixties on Thursday. So it should be a should be a nice week. Looks like a nice day coming up for Saturday. Um, and uh, you know, as always, uh, you can send us questions and feedback uh, for the show by shooting an email to NH High School Sports at gmail.com or on Twitter at NHHSports. Uh, you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings at nh-highschoolsports.com. And I uh, want to let everyone know, since um, so we got championship games coming up Saturday, uh, we are going to do uh, an extra special podcast this week. Uh, today we will spend our time talking about uh, last weekend's games. And uh, later on this week, um, on Friday actually, you will be able to uh, check out a, a extra podcast. We're going to talk about the matchups for the two uh, championship games on Saturday, Division One game between uh, Londonderry and Winnicunit, and the Division Two game against uh, Milford and Timberlane, um, which I'm 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 a little excited about um, because you know we we try to talk we try to preview games um, you know going throughout the season, but I think uh, just just because of the timing, we record it on Monday nights usually. Um, it's out there Tuesday. You know, we, we are heavy on, on recaps, so I think it's kind of exciting to maybe take a little extra look at uh, some matchups, um, especially championship game matchups. Yeah, and I think it'll be cool, too, because the matchups are really interesting. That the I think the um, – and I think th- this time of season, right, you've, you've seen enough and you've learned enough about the teams where you could actually do kind of a comprehensive preview discussion about what to expect and – the different players and stuff it's it's harder earlier in the season when you haven't quite felt things out and you know you're you're sort of talking off the cuff about things but uh we certainly have as, as much data as we will get on these teams at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's also also very much easier to to preview two games uh as opposed to um what like 22 or 25 games yeah that's true right how do, you, how do you pick and choose you know every week right um so I think to um, for this week's show we are going to go in a bit of a uh, reverse order here. Usually we start off talking D one, D two, but because you know you had cha- two championship games last weekend in D three and D four, we're going to start there uh, with Division three, and um, you know that championship game played between Trinity and Pelham up at Bedford High School uh, last Saturday, and you had uh, Pelham coming away with their second straight title. Uh, with a 50 to 14 win uh, over Trinity in a game that that Pelham actually led 50 to nothing at one point uh, before Trinity was able to tack on a couple of late touchdowns. Uh, just I, I want to throw some of these at you, Mike, real quick. Um, so I went back. I you, you know me. I like to I like to do my history lessons here. Um, so I went back through the championship champions list uh, on the NHIA website, and from what I was able to find, the uh, the 50 to 14 margin of victory uh 36 points is the uh ninth largest margin of victory all time in a football championship game uh and it's the largest uh since Pinkerton beat Bedford 37 nothing back in 2014 um and the largest uh margin of victory the number one on that list would be uh Pinkerton's 52 to nothing win uh in the D1 final in 1986 uh yeah so uh that was back in the uh, Segretti and Mahako days. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, Pinkerton's on this list three times, uh, or, or at least uh, has has three uh, margins of victory that were bigger than than what what Pelham won by the other day. 
And uh, no surprise either that P- Plymouth is on this list twice as well. Uh, yeah. And then the 50 points is the uh, the fourth time that a team has scored 50 or more in a championship game. Uh, the other times, as I mentioned, Pinkerton, uh, 52 in 1986. Uh, Bishop Brady scored uh, 60 in a 60-40 to 40 win over St. Thomas in 1998. And uh, in 2012, Portsmouth beat Goffstown 54-27. Uh, to 27. So those are the, f- the other times that a team has topped uh, or has reached the 50 mark in a uh, NHIA football championship game. So what was the year of that last one, the Goffstown Portsmouth one? Uh, the 20, 2012. Uh, so that yeah. would that would have been the the last year Division Three championship and the last year under the old format, the sixth division format. Yep, uh, I remember that game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and if you go back, I think the year before Portsmouth had beat Bedford in that final, like forty-one to six. So two years in a row, Portsmouth scoring, I think it what a combined like ninety something points there. Uh, but yeah, so those are so Pelham this this championship, you know, not only. Two years in a row, uh, two undefeated seasons, and then um, you know a, a championship game to, to cap it off—a real, um, you know, one for the for the record books, if you will. Yeah, and you know, I know it's going to sound a little counterintuitive to to you and probably a lot of the listeners, but I don't think that that score was indicative of, you know, Trinity is a bad football team no, or Pelham no. is just that much better I than Trinity. Yeah. I. I I mean, obviously they they were right. I mean, they they played really well. I think the story of the game was they got it done in almost every phase, right? I mean, they were able to uh, score in the air, score on the ground. The quarterback ran in some touch, a touchdown or two, I think, and and you know there was a a blocked punt. Uh, I mean, special teams counted. So I mean, they got it done in just about every way. But I, I really think that you know this was probably you know if you're if you're sitting in Pelham's shoes. You know, you've fought hard all season. Uh, you've been undefeated. You know, you've you've got what's you know your defining moment coming up, and you've probably got you know what I would say easily was the second best team in the division coming in to play against you, right? I, I mean, I, I it's not just that they happened to be there. I, I think Trinity really probably was the the next best team, and I think it's a matter of not just Pelham being better or Trinity not being as good, but it was just Pelham wasn't going to let that go. You know, they won yeah. the championship last year. They wanted to repeat this year, and I think it's a matter of that's how that's giving Trinity respect. Right? We're not we're not gonna take this for granted, we're not gonna take this lightly, we're not going to let them come in and bite us as underdogs and let them get momentum. We're gonna practice hard, we're gonna prepare hard, and we're gonna jump all over them so that they don't have a chance. And I and I think that's that's probably what ended up happening there based on the, you know, sort of some of the things that the kids have said since the win in the articles and so forth. Also too, you, you factor in that they didn't play in the regular season. Um, you know, so this was kind of the, you know, the one, one team, um, that Pelham hadn't, you know, had a chance to play yet. Um, their game of course got canceled, uh, due to COVID during the regular season. Um, you know, and, and, and here we are, we were talking at the, you know, last week of the year, depending on tiebreakers and who did what because of that, you know, non-uncontested uh, game that, um, you know, had Trinity won its last game against Kearsarge, that they would have ended up with the number one seed. So, you know, yeah, you're right. I think you're right. There was, um, you know, a healthy respect maybe going into that final uh, for a team that, that yeah, Pelham hadn't yet. I mean, we, we th- you know, a lot of us expected them to win, um, you know, but they, you know, they took it, didn't take it lightly, came out and took care of business. Um, you know, they scored, I think, less than four minutes into the game. Um, ended up up 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter, as you said. Uh, Kevin Bowen Raider had a uh, blocked punt return for a touchdown that made it 28 nothing going into halftime. They got a defensive uh, touchdown, a pick six from uh, Ethan Demons to open the second half that made it 36 to nothing. Um, so, yeah, they were they were uh, solid in every phase. Jake Travis had four touchdowns. Um, the Pythons quarterback, he had, uh, three of those rushing. So yeah, they were, and, and I think that's where the way they were most of the year or all throughout the year. And, and, and probably even last year too, just solid in all three phases. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. I, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything official. I haven't heard anything official. Um, 
you know, but but I I mean the gut feeling is is maybe they're going to move back up to Division Two when uh, for the new cycle that starts next year. But I I haven't seen or heard anything, so that's just kind of kind of a guess at this point. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that you bring that up because there were uh, you know there was some stuff on Twitter that kind of raised my eyebrow. And, you know, I try to I don't do much on Twitter other than follow sports stuff. You know, I follow the the New Hampshire football stuff obviously, and I do a lot of checking in on college scores and things like that, right, especially yeah. if I'm out and about and doing things. And, uh, but you know, it's funny somebody was, somebody had tweeted the, um, the, the Pelham final score on Saturday afternoon. And, and somebody had responded with uh, a comment about, uh, you know, a disparaging comment about, yeah, well, you know, congratulations, you don't play anybody, you know, given the division you're in, you know, something to that effect. Right. Right. And I don't know. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the season, and I, I just I don't find that to be a legitimate complaint against Pelham. Right? They're playing where their numbers say they're supposed to play. Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken, right? right? No, it's not yeah, like they yeah. petitioned down. They're playing against equal and fair uh, sized schools and and populations. Uh, they're they're a good program. And they've done everything that they could do to build the program up. That was a program that was down quite a bit uh, over the last decade that obviously really built themselves up. And, and by the way, part of that building the program back up was when they were in Division Two before this cycle, right? They were they were yeah, in yeah. Division Two playing the Milfords and the Sauhegans and so on and so forth. And, and I think they just missed the playoffs by a hair. They, I think the last year, there were a couple years where that happened, and then that last year they finally got in, um, and and they, I, be, I want to say they hosted um, a, a first round game. I, I, yeah, they, I believe they did, and they lost, and <laughs> they ended up having to host Plymouth, uh, and ended up losing that game. Yeah, uh, but they were, yeah, and it had been a really tight yeah. season too, right? They had lost an overtime game, and then maybe they had won an overtime game. So there were a number of overtime games that they had had, but that was part of their building process was being a successful program in division two. Yeah, they dropped, but that was where the numbers dictated they go. And so it's kind of hard to criticize them and say, Oh, well, they don't play any competition because the other schools are not at a, at a disadvantage in terms of the available population, the numbers, right? So then it's just a matter of, Hey, our program has worked hard. It's successful. We're well coached, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I don't, I don't know that that's a legitimate thing. I don't mean to go on a rant about it, but <laughs> no, please, right? You know, I, I guess really what I'm getting at is, regardless of where they end up, I mean, you know, they're the champs. They're, they're, they're the champs for the last two years. They've earned it. They've had to build that program up from a very low point, really, uh, which is not an easy thing to do. And I, I think they will obviously be successful in whatever division they end up playing in. Yeah. So, so 2019, they were seven and two in the regular season, um, and then hosted that playoff game I mentioned um, against Plymouth. Um, and then I think in 20, uh, 2018, what what did we have here? Um, they were they were five and four in 2018, but I think they lost out on tiebreakers. Uh, that was the year I was thinking um, of yeah, when I said I, I, they had just they had just missed it by a narrow margin. It was 2018. I take that back. They didn't actually. They were a game. They missed it by a game. They but they had a couple of big wins that year, um, you know, and, and had games where they put up a ton of points. And that yeah, I think that might have actually been the year they lost um, a couple of close ones, or maybe not. Maybe that was the other year. Any, anyway, they were you know they had a you're right, but it was a build up. They were slowly building their way up. And, um, you know, they would have been a very competitive team the last two years in Division Two as well. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and, and no team that's perennially dominant is, is spared from those kind of complaints and concerns, right? I mean, I remember people, you know, complaining about Plymouth. Plymouth should play up there, Division Four. They should be in three or two. People complaining about Sauhegan back in the day. Oh, Sauhegan oh, should yeah, be in Division yeah. Two or One. Well, and the one that always got it was BG. They constantly got that, you know. Oh, right, be BG up. would get it. And even in Division One, you'd say, well, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, I remember even when I was a player and Pinkerton went on a four-year run in the early 90s, people were saying, oh, well, you can, you know, there's 
3,400 kids in that school, and you can you can tuition in and all this stuff. They should be playing in the prep school league. They shouldn't be playing in Division One. So it doesn't matter, right? That I think teams that are perennially successful are going to draw that uh, that kind of criticism. And it, it, I think that uh, hey, you know, Pelham's the champs. They've done a nice job building that program. They beat some really quality opponents this year handily to get it done. Congratulations to them. You know, and I, I would say, you know, I would put Trinity in that in that role too, in that category too. I mean, this, that was we're, that's a program that that you know didn't have a varsity team a few years ago. Um, that had, had to take a year off and then came back. I think it was what two years, two or three years later. Um, you know, they won the D three championship in twenty eighteen, or excuse me, twenty nineteen. Yep. Um, you know, so and then then they came back again this year and and, and made the final. So I mean, that's been. You know, that's another kind of, of, you know, success story there that they that that program was able to overcome some some really down times uh, and, and get back to this successful level. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. really both teams very, very impressive um, in what they've been able to do in turning around their programs. Yeah. Yeah. And Trinity is another great example of a program that's that has moved around from a division standpoint in order to keep the program viable. Yeah. Right. They've been all the way to division in the old old setup right they've been a division five team they were they were a division one team for how long and they were a division one team yeah, right yeah. And, and everything in between right they were they were d2 um you know when coach steve burns was still there and yeah. i was at Sauhegan. Yeah. you know they so they've done they've done what they've had to do based on their enrollment and and their outlook and things like that to keep the program viable and i think you know nowadays if, if you if you don't have a thousand plus kids in your school that's that's what you have to do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I remember that uh, those first couple of years in in D two when they were still broken down into four conferences. You had what uh, Trinity, Wyndham, Sauhegan, Milford, and 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 Pelham. Um, I mean, that was <laughs> it was brutal. That was yeah, when I was yeah. at Sauhegan. And you looked at that, and and, and and the first couple of years of that, I think you only got what two playoff teams out of that. Correct. Yeah. And so, and and that that's the other part of what I think made it hard for Pelham to rebuild was you know they were in that that very difficult conference. I mean, we used to call it the Black and Blue <laughs> Conference just because it was. I mean, any one of those teams could have potentially played and beaten right, a, yeah. a Division One team. I mean, not week to week, I don't think, but and on any given Friday, given week, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, you know, it's it's I I found this kind of interesting looking at um you know the different championship games. You had this one, like we said, you know, Pelham winning back to back titles now, uh, their fourth championship uh, since two thousand seven. So that's what in the last fourteen fifteen years. Um, Trinity, of course, we said won uh, in twenty nineteen. Um, then you look at the D- Division Four game between Fall Mountain, which. Um, was only playing in only its second championship game ever after it also made the D4 final in 2019. Uh, never won a championship. And then you get Summersworth on the other side, who played in last year's final, was the runner-up to Newport, hadn't won a championship since going back-to-back since in uh, 96 and 97. So two teams that, um, you know, one, it's never had the that taste of, of a championship, and one... I mean, probably no, not probably. None of these, none of the kids on the team were even alive uh, the last time Summersworth won. So, kind of a, a fun matchup of, of teams that um, you know that 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 were gonna. One of them was gonna come out with uh, with making some history, and um, you know th- this one didn't start out the same way as the D three final, but it kind of uh, Summersworth got on a roll and t- kind of turned it into that. It was uh, a seven six Fall Mountain lead early in the second quarter. When, um, oh, I'm going to make sure I have this young man's name right because he sounds like he's going to be probably a good a, a good football player for Summersworth for a couple of years here. Um, but oh, where did it, where did I, I wrote it down and I can't read my writing. Uh, that's the kind of, kind of week it's been, I think. And it's only Monday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Summersworth took the lead. Uh, I went out. Freshman linebacker Blaine Belanger, uh, he forced a fumble, recovered it in the end zone, uh, gave Summersworth a 12-7 lead, uh, which they took into halftime. And then um, to open the second half, uh, Calvin Lambert uh, returned a, uh, a pick six for a touchdown. Um, 
you know, to put them up 20 to 7, and that just kind of seemed to really get Summersworth rolling. Uh, Lambert finished with five touchdowns, three rushing, uh, the defensive touchdown, and the receiving touchdown. He had 100 yards rushing. Uh, Tayshawn Shepard also went over 100 yards rushing for, for Summersworth. And, um, you know, they end up coming away with a 40-13 a to 13 win uh, to get their, like as I said, first title since 1997. Um, so congrats to the Hilltoppers and, and Fall Mountain, um, you know, with a, with a great season of their own. Of course, last week they, uh, they turn in probably the upset of the year beating, uh, Newport in the semifinal. Um, you know, I'm not, not to take anything away from them going into that, but, you know, definitely a surprise to both of us to see them pull out that win and, and certainly, uh, another great season for the Wildcats. Yeah, and I think I, I think kind of similar to what we were saying about the 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 you know the point differential in the in the Division three game, you know, in a way, I, I again it sounds weird to say, but you know, Fall Mountain wasn't going to sneak up on Summersworth not after having beaten Newport the way that they did, right? So it's almost like the upset win, although you know it, it's it's ridiculous because obviously if you don't get that upset win, you're not in the championship to begin with. But you know the upset win almost hurt them a little bit because there was no way after having beaten Newport that Summersworth was going to underestimate Fall Mountain and yeah. let them kind of pull off that that upset bid again, right? So you know that they were on high alert all week in terms of you know, their prep and their game plan and just knowing what type of effort it was going to take to, to, to not let that emotion of being the underdog and the, you know, the, the scrappy team coming up and biting you that, that fall mountain could be trying to avoid that issue probably had Summersworth really playing their best football. Um, and, and it showed, right. I mean, you know, I, Anytime in a championship or a playoff game, you're you're scoring on defense multiple times. It's it's really hard to recover from that. Yeah, that's um, those plays like that are are, are just um, daggers. Like it, it's especially you know like you know the as we said in the D three game, the block punt. I mean, it was a thirty yard return, I think, on the block. So I mean, it's one of those. It's like maybe you're punting from midfield, and then all of a sudden. You know, it's it's going the other way. Um, yeah, that's a huge, uh, just a huge momentum swing. Um, I believe the pick six to open the second half was a forty-five yard return. So that's another one too. You're out by midfield, or at least you're 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 trying to complete a play out to midfield. Um, yeah, just a, a huge momentum swing. Um, you know, and 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 to what you were saying about you know not Fall Mountain not being able to sneak up on them. The only thing I would I I would have figured that that could have happened with that was. You know, for Summersworth, they they open the year with a loss to Newport. Um, you know, and then they win. Uh, they go undefeated the rest of the way into the championship yeah. game, and they're think, probably thinking the whole way, "Yeah, we're going to get Newport again. We're going to get them again." And then you f- you get to this that week leading up to it, and it's oh wait a minute, it's Fall Mountain. Wow, oh, okay, well we beat these guys. It's you know maybe maybe you take them lightly again, but um, and, and I don't who knows. I mean that could have happened that first quarter and a half where they fall behind. Um, but you know, they were able to turn things around and, um, yeah, just a, a great, a great story to see them. Um, you know, and they were a team last year, I think that only played three games. Uh, you know, they got a late start to the season cause I think it took a while for their, their school board or their school administration to get on, on board with being able to play football. Um, so they only played three games and I think two of them were, were playoff games. Um, and they had just four seniors on the roster this year, which, uh, obviously bodes well for for the future for them. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's it's uh it's it's one of those things again where, you know, either one of those teams, you know, regardless of the outcome, they could have been proud. Um, I, I think Fall Mountain is another one of those examples, Joe. Where you know we talked about Pelham building themselves up and Trinity building themselves up. I think that's been the fun of watching fall mountain the last two or three seasons um, is, you know, I mean, that was a team that really struggled for over a decade. Oh, for, for and decades, the fact that this was their, yeah. did you say second and three years? Second, right? It wasn't last year, but it was two years ago. Two they years were in the ago. show, right? right? Right. Yep. Two years ago. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you know that it's tough and, and, 
you know, they don't want to just hang their hat on that win against Newport in the in the first round. Although, I'm, you know, that's a signature win for that program, no question. Yeah. But I'm sure every every player and coach in that program wanted to win, you know, this past Saturday and, and take a ring home. But the flip side of it is, you know, it, it stinks in the moment. But as you reflect on that, if you're a coach or a player in a program like that, and you really think about how far you've come and the things that you accomplished, it, it, it it's pretty amazing. You know, and they're a program too. I mean, they're they're you know, as I probably with any any D four program, you know, their numbers aren't aren't great, um, but you know, they lose seven seniors. Um, you know, obviously Luke Gay at quarterback, that's a big one for them, and 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 a guy we talked about last week, Quinn Healy, um, on the line. Um, you know, but they've got it. Look, you know, they've they're going to have guys who have the experience of at least playing in one championship game um i don't know maybe they had some freshmen from a couple years ago that played in that one um that'll be seniors next year so you know it's it's definitely uh, a good sign for a program when you're able to get those experiences and and kind of continue them on uh even after some of those key players go so definitely a team to keep an eye on next year and uh really interested to see what what fall mountain's able to do down the road yeah yeah absolutely see if they can sustain it again i think it's it's harder to sustain that success when when you're in the lower divisions, I think, just because your your numbers games become such a huge part of managing your program. You don't have that 50, 60, 70 kids that you can count on every year, right? You're happy if you've got the, 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 the 25 to 35 kids that you can count on, right? right. Yeah, yeah. You know, that the talent swing can be considerable uh, or, or your depth concerns can – torpedo a season very quickly right so yeah it'll be i again i think it's great that they've been able to to sort of claw their way into this this really respectable competitive position and uh it'll be nice to see if they can maintain that so uh those were the uh two championship games uh tro- you know plaques and trophies and medals and all that handed out last weekend to uh to all four teams uh but this and then also this past weekend we had a uh four semifinal games um in division two uh you got a chance to go up to uh to lebanon to see the raiders take on milford um in a game that uh you know i i saw early photos from up there and uh it was nice and bright and sunny and then someone posted a, a photo on on twitter of the handshake line and it looked like a monsoon uh so kind of crazy yes. how that all of a sudden turned um but yeah, what uh, what was that like going up there for that game? It was a great game, you know, and it was exactly that. You know, it kind of started out with great weather, just like we had down here in southern New Hampshire for a lot of the games, and then with like five minutes left in the fourth, uh, just like it started to sleet. You know, not to the point where you'd be irritated by it, but just like, ah, oh, this is a good game, and you know, all right. And then just at about the the three minute mark. It was just pouring and windy, and I swear the temperature dropped like 15 degrees. Uh, you know, and, you know, not to not to start at the the end and work backwards, but and it was right at that point where, you know, Leb would have to put something together, and 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 it's like the weather just cut loose at just the wrong time yeah, for yep. the Raiders to, uh, you know, to try to mount something special to come back given the circumstances of the game. But uh, it was a great game, it, you know. It, Interestingly enough, it was sort of a game of errors, um, and and by that what I mean is you know when, when I when you first think about it, you say well you know you know it was Milford that much of a better team than Lebanon that day or you know did Lebanon kind of shoot themselves in the foot and the answer would be yes Lebanon shot themselves in the, the foot uh-huh. a few times yeah. I, I, they had I think they had four turnovers uh, one of which was sort of a backbreaker pick six that, um, you know, uh, Milford defensive back Caleb Frankor grabbed at the 13-yard line. You know, it was just they sort of rolled out and tried to throw a ball into the flats, and he just picked it and ran it in, right? And that was sort of the backbreaker. But so you could say, hey, yeah, Lebanon made some uncharacteristic mistakes, and Milford was able to capitalize. But the flip side of it was, really the only plays that Lebanon were able to manage getting on the board were based on some fluky things that happened to Milford. Uh, you know, the, the, the first touchdown, if I'm remembering the sequence correctly was 
you know, Lebanon was having trouble moving the ball right from the get-go. They punted to Milford. Milford looked like they didn't have anybody back to return the ball. I'm not sure whether this was schemed up or whether it was just a mistake or what happened, but the ball was sort of rolling around after it hit the ground, and the Milford returner kind of ran back, or or a Milford player, I should say, because Milford didn't have anybody deep, kind of ran back. And you could tell they were like sort of thinking about, should I pick up the ball or not? And everybody that I was sitting with, a lot of ex-coaches from my Sauhegan staff from back in the day, we all we were, we were there, and we were all like, oh, no, no, don't do that. Don't touch it. And as soon as he went down to touch the ball, there were two Lebanon players there, and one of them just jumped right on the ball. <laughs> you know, so the Milford yeah. player touched the ball, couldn't get a handle on it. Lebanon jumped on it, and then they turned that into a touchdown. Um, and then there was another fluky kind of thing where, you know, they, they, I think probably Lebanon's best penetration of the game, or pretty close to it, um, and they threw up a, like a Hail Mary type pass, and, you know, it got batted around by a couple guys, and I think, uh, I think it was intended for Tanner Ames, who just sort of like tipped it to Justin DiCarlo, but, uh, but it, I'm pretty sure it bounced off a Milford player, too, because there were two Milford defensive backs there. It really was a ball that shouldn't have been thrown. And DiCarlo just, like, sort of the ball landed in his hands, and he just goes, you know, 25 yards to, to, to score what ended up being a 55, you know, pass play. But those were the only points that a really explosive um, Lebanon team were able to manage against Milford. Kind of the, the opposite, in a sense, of what happened in the regular season game, because I would say that kind of flipped that, that – that Milford was able to capitalize on some weird plays by Lebanon and to get their score, their points in that game. So, yeah, so kind of an interesting, interesting flip. Um, you know, when I'm, I'm looking over the story that was in the Valley News, too, um, you know, and I know you talked about this, about that regular season game, um, but, the you know, the, the story here notes, you know, that it's a game of blocking, tackling, and turnovers. And I think you'd said the same thing again for Lebanon in that regular season game. Right. Well, you know, the, the, the thing that really, again, you know, I think a lot of different people might say, oh, well, Lebanon didn't, didn't do this, or they made these mistakes, or they had that turnover or whatever. But again, you, you could kind of flip it around and say the same thing of Milford. They, they, they made their share of mistakes that led to Lebanon points. But the things that really stood, stood out to me was Milford played really, really good defense. Um, against a very explosive Lebanon team, right? I mean, you know, you've got um, Jackson Stone, who is arguably maybe player of the year for Division Two, right? Yeah. And yeah, they held him to under 70 yards uh, on 19 carries, uh, which is, you know, probably a it's probably a low for him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were a couple other big play guys for Lebanon that just couldn't get on track, you know, um, uh, Naoti Puni, I think you pronounce his name is, a, is, you know, they're kind of star running back and he was held in check. I mean, the, the Spartans held them to 120 yards rushing while racking up 270 of their own. Um, and, and really it, it was a pretty dominant performance by Milford. Um, you know, I had said of that early season game, it looked like Milford was capable of beating them in that game, but they just didn't tackle. You remember me saying that? Yeah, right. And, man, they tackled in this game. I mean, they just could not get their guys going. And really, quite honestly, I think part of what factored into it was I'm not sure Lebanon's been in that position where they've been down at half this year. Just the Milford game the first time, yeah. Yeah, right. And so they came out, and it was a little bit of uh, you could se- you could sense that they were in unfamiliar territory, right? And I think what they were really trying to do in the second half was just just get the ball in um, in Stone's hands any way they could. I-, I think they just figured the more we more touches we give Stone, the more chances we have of breaking a big one. Because I think they started to feel like they weren't going to be able to chip away down the field at Milford. And so the only thing I could figure with the amount of touches Stone was getting in the second half was 
they had they had to have convinced themselves that our only chance is for a big play, and our best chance for a big play is with Stone. And so we're just going to keep giving him the ball uh, and see if he breaks one. And Milford just wasn't going to let it happen. Hey, you talk about the 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 Milford defense too, and looking just looking at point totals. Um, so Lebanon had what fourteen in this game. Um, you know they had twenty seven in the the regular season game against Milford, and only one other time this year um, they scored less than forty, and that was they had thirty eight in the season in the regular season finale against uh, HDH. So I mean that yeah that 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 was uh, definitely a defensive performance to. Um, you know, to, to note, uh, to, to highlight there, uh, being able yeah. to hold that offense in check. I think the other point that's important to make too, is that there were two other drives where Milford got, um, into really good field position. Um, and you know, on one, it ended with Colin Gregg missing a field goal wide left. That was on their opening drive. Um, and the very next drive they went down and, and Greg hits a 32 yarder, uh, to go up three, nothing. So, you know, Milford was knocking on the door on their first two drives and only came away with three points. So, you know, it could have been an even higher point spread yeah. in Milford's favor if they had capped those drives with touchdowns as opposed to, you know, a missed ex- a missed field goal and then a and then a hit field goal um, from 32 out. So, like I said, it was a pretty dominating performance by Milford. Um, uh, and, and I'm not saying this to make myself sound uh, really smart. It honestly didn't surprise me, though. Uh, and you know, I I knew that they could do that based on what I had seen earlier in the season. That's no disrespect to Lebanon, who is, you know, obviously a very very talented team. But um, Milford just came to play. And that's their, um, you know, their first trip to the to a championship game, I believe, since what 2005. I want to say. Or 2004, I believe, um, which was their, you know, they they'd gone back to back that year. I think they were, you know, they were in D4, went um, in 03 and beat Manadnock, and then the next year moved up to Division three and went. Uh, actually, I think they went on the road and upset Kennett as the number four seed, and then uh, lost to Sauhegan in the final that year. So yeah, their first trip to the final right. in, in since 2004, and then uh, the team that they're going to be playing also. Uh, hasn't been to the final in quite some time, and that would be uh, Timberlane, which uh, which beat St. Thomas thirty four to seven, and Timberlane in the final for the first time since two thousand and one. Right. Uh, so yeah, kind of a again like like we said about the D four game, you know that one's going to be, you know, two programs that uh, that that certainly haven't been there in in, in quite some time. Uh, before we get into that that Timberlane game though, any any other thoughts about that? Uh, Milford upset that um, to uh, to wrap up with. No, I think the only other thing that I would add that sort of surprised me is Milford definitely has some some size, um, but but they between Barnhill and Zelinsky, who are their two kind of featured running backs, both captain seniors. I mean, those two guys outweigh a couple of the offensive linemen. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that that Milford has right. Milford played really well in the trenches. Yeah. And they do have a couple of of uh, really big, strong offensive linemen, but a couple of their other guys are, are are very average size, right? They look like they could be running backs or or what have you, right? So, I think it's a credit to Milford's coaching staff to uh, you know to have a, a really physical running game like they have, but they're not you know 250 pounds across the board on the offensive line. They're getting it done with some pretty average size kids. Um, you know, especially like the guard positions, for example, and they've got some really big, hard-running running backs like Barnhill and Zelensky. When those guys get downhill, um, they can get it done and 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 you know get that extra two or three yards. So, um, no, so I mean, just just that. I, I, I thought it was a really fun game. Both very very good teams, um, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what comes next week for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, we mentioned that other. Um... That other game, uh, St. Thomas uh, falling to Timberlane, thirty-four to seven. Um, in a, in you know, I mentioned St. Thomas first because I was just thinking about how uh, Saturday afternoon I'm I'm you know on Twitter. I, I don't even know if I was 
it couldn't have been a score because there wasn't a score. I was over at the Londonderry Salem game um, in Londonderry, and I don't. Yeah, there couldn't have been a score yet because it was early in the game, and that that game didn't have one until uh, the second possession. Must have been just a tweet. Who, you know who was getting the ball first, and I look at Twitter and I see that you know St. Thomas. You know, 15 seconds into the game is already up seven nothing. Uh, and I thought, whoa, wow, what, that's interesting. Um, you know, especially since Timberlane had won the regular season game uh, 43 to nothing. But I guess kind of a fluky play on, on Timberlane's part where, um, you know, the the quarterback, um, Garrett Chevelle, who is filling in for, for the starter, um, you know, kind of turned one way and, and left the ball kind of exposed. It got punched out and, and picked up and returned. Uh, for a touchdown by by Liam Sullivan to to give St. Thomas that lead, uh, but then Timberlane scores 34 unanswered points and wins 34 to seven. So that one kind of, um, you know, for for about a, I would guess a couple of minutes there, it looked like um, looked like it could be an interesting day, and then it kind of returned true to form. Uh, I guess you'd you'd probably say. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And and the big thing for Timberlane, you know, was you know their their offense gets a lot of. Um, a lot of credit and, and credit that's due, right? I mean, Dominic Polaria is probably the best running back in Division Two. I mean, there's a lot of good backs in that division, but I, I've seen him a couple times on film and stuff. He, he's very good. Um, and and Dan Post is really good. He didn't have a huge game against St. Thomas, but, you know, sometimes uh, it, it's due to, you know, using him as a decoy or faking and, and things like that or blocking. But, the, the rushing yardage disparity between the two teams, you know, Timberlane ran 42 times for 220 yards. St. Thomas ran 30 times for 62 yards. That's, that's and so, I, I mean, the Timberlane defense, what I was getting at and saying, yeah. hey, the, Tim, the Timberlane offense gets a lot of credit. But from what I've seen of Timberlane this season, their defense is lights out. Their defensive line is, is very, very good. They've got, you know, eight or nine different kids that they rotate through the defensive line that are all uh, really good players, and they play very, very good run defense. They're able to get after the uh, the quarterback in the passing game. So Timberlane's defense is is definitely a top type defense. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Polaria. He finished with what 132 yards and, and three touchdowns for them, and then you have. Yeah. Um, Harrison Bloom kicking a, a couple of field goals late in that game too, um, if I'm not mistaken. A couple in the in the second half from um, you know one a uh, 29 yard field goal and then a 38 yard field goal uh, at the end of the third quarter. Um, you know, I I think um, you know going into the year, given what we knew about Timberlane, you know coming but what they had coming back, they were a a Final Four team a year ago, uh, in their first season in Division Two, and um, you know this year I, I I don't know I mean I I kind of I think we probably expected them to be at this point despite you know their their obvious history um, having been you know in Division One the last or the previous couple of cycles and and uh, you know it's always been a, a football program with with tough kids and and you know that's well coached. Um, you know, so it's to see them kind of, you know, to regroup and, and get to this point, um, you know, really good to see them getting a chance to play for a championship, I think. Yeah, yeah, they've got one left, right, because they're, they're undefeated. And, yeah, yeah. And they've played a lot of very good teams this season. It's not like they had a weaker schedule. I mean, they beat Milford in the final week of the season. Yeah. Um, I think they beat Plymouth in the opening game of the season if i'm not mistaken early yeah yeah you know so they've had some signature wins as well right it's not like they've just sort of been preying on weaker teams i mean st thomas a very good team and that was a decisive win other than an early you know kind of sucker punch to the mouth to start the game that was all timberlane yeah yeah um, so yeah it'll be uh it'll be timberlane and milford for the uh division two championship game that game's Saturday at one o'clock, uh, and it'll be played. It's kind of surprised by this. It's going to be played at Pinkerton, um, which um, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised that they would play a game there. It's definitely 
a uh, I think it's one of the better games to see a football fields to see a football game at um you know if for no other reason because in the fall they only use that field for football so it's only got football lines on it um yep <laughs> I mean it's a pretty simple reason I guess um to like watching a game there but it's but it's a great field um I just I mean I don't recall them ever really using um you know certainly they use Pinkerton's gym for for um, tournament games, uh, obviously, you know, the volleyball finals or, or semis and finals have usually there or have been there for every year since I've been doing this. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that 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 or it was interesting to see that that final be played there. Yeah, I think it's cool. It is a great place to watch a game. It's one of my favorite places. And it's been a while since I've been there to see a game. So I'm I'm uh, I'm hoping to get out there. Yeah, just make it's one o'clock, one o'clock game. Unlike the last time I don't tried to go there, and I was like three hours early. And yes, you you don't need to go see the band practice. Right. Uh, too cold to have the band practice outside. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that'll be the uh, the D2 final. And as we said to start out the show, uh, we'll get into that game uh, in a little bit more depth um, later on in the week in, in our, our special championship uh, preview podcast. So... Um, uh, so that leaves us with two games left. Of course, the two Division One games, and um, you know the the one game you had out on the seacoast, um, a, a rivalry as old as time, uh, I believe, uh, or at least very close to it. Uh, Exeter and Winniconnet. Um, you know they played a game earlier in the year that was, um, you know, not just low scoring, but I think fast too. I, I want to say it was like an, a, under two hours or something like that. You know, largely because Winnicott had drives that just took up uh, one of which almost took up the entire third quarter. I think um, the Warriors won that one, fourteen seven. This one, um, you know, they were um, they were doing the same thing from what I what I saw. They you know had the ball for I want to say they ran something like thirty eight plays to to Exeter's like eight plays in the first half, but yet needed a, a score with like three seconds left. Um, until halftime to take a to make it seven seven, and then um, you know Exeter went back up fourteen um, seven in the third quarter, uh, and then they got uh, Winnicott got um, some big plays from the uh, from the McCanns, um, Jake and uh, Tucker McCann. Uh, Jake had a big turnover, uh, I believe an interception uh, that helped set up uh, the go ahead touchdown by Tucker. And um, you know, Winnicott's defense was able to, um, you know, to keep Exeter from from coming back and tying that game and and getting them into the uh, the championship game for the second time. Uh, what in the last uh, four or five years they they won in twenty seventeen, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember whether that was an undefeated. It was, it was or not, yeah, it was. I believe that yeah, they were yeah. undefeated that year. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah. it, it was it was obviously a, another one of these really well played games between the, these two rivals. But uh, one of the things that really stuck out for me, I mean, I, I know that uh, that Tucker McCann is obviously a good football player, but you know, to have 150 yards rushing against an Exeter team, I, I don't remember the last time I heard that. You know, I mean. Obviously, teams have beaten Exeter. Teams have putting up yards and points against Exeter. But to have an individual performance like that of 150 yards rushing yeah, against yeah. an Exeter defense, I really don't remember the last time I heard that kind of statistic. Um, and, you know, I know Winnicott likes to mix in a lot of different ball carriers, and they do a good job of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that – I think I think McCann ended up on the season with over 1,200 yards rushing, which, yeah. by the way, that's also a statistic you don't really see a whole lot of anymore because of the way that teams tend to spread the ball around a little bit more. Right. And, uh, and, and Winnicott. In this era, yeah. right? There, there's way more throwing the ball on teams and things like that. So your, your, your feature back doesn't get as many touches, doesn't get as many chances to amass 1,200 yards. So, um you know, I just wanted to highlight that, right? We 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 haven't we've talked a lot about Winnicott, but we haven't highlighted individual players as much, probably. And and obviously, it was a it was a great performance last week against Goffstown that he had, where he had over 140 yards. Another great performance this week uh, against a you know what is typically an Exeter defense that is just you know very very tough against the run, um, and then to have that season. 
mark of, of, you know, going over 1200 yards is also nothing to shake a stick at in, in division one in the modern football era. Yeah. Um, going back to the, the time of possession, um, numbers, uh, when had the ball for over 36 minutes in that game. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the, the attempts, um, but when you have the ball that long, I mean, you can give it to everybody and, and, and everybody right. can get there, can get their carries, um, in that game. And, you know, looking at the, the, the stats, I, seven different kids had a, a rushing attempt for, uh, for Winnicott. Um, but yeah, yeah. And they do, they do, you know, have guys that can, that can all play, but yeah, you're right. McCann's the guy that, that kind of is the, the lead back, um, you know, I think the guy that they probably go to when they're really in, in need of a big play, um, you know, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see you know this this group because you know, yeah, they were in the championship game in in 2017, and obviously you know there's no one left you know, all those kids uh, or anyone that would have been a freshman that year you know has gone you know has graduated moved on, um, but they didn't you know th- this was a program yeah they were they made the playoffs the following year, um, but then they took kind of a dip you know I think they went one and eight, uh, two years ago, and um. You know, had had a bounce back here last year, going six and three and making the semifinals. So this, you know, this has been a nice build back, uh, you know, for the Warriors to to go from from the high of the championship, an undefeated championship, and then almost bottoming out there and then coming back up. Um, you know, nice job of of uh, what what Ryan Francoeur and his uh, his staff has done since uh, you know he became the head coach three years ago. Yeah, it's an exceptional job by Coach Frank Hoare and, and and by the players, right, the leaders, because I've said several times, I think the hardest thing to do in high school sports is to bounce back after having a really, really tough football season, right, a one-and-eight, a, a two-and-seven type of year. It's, it's just very difficult to do, right? Um, it, it's not like basketball or baseball or some of these other sports, right? In, in football, you go out there and – you get beaten week to week. It's not just you get beaten on the scoreboard. You get physically beat up. Yeah. And so it's hard to get that your teams, those teams in those situations where you've had a tough year, re-motivated to get in the weight room, do the off-season program, you know, come to the seven-on-seven stuff and get stuff and get better. Right. That's just not an easy thing to do when you when you've had a tough year. So it, it again it. Talking about these buildbacks that these programs have had, you know, I think it's a great credit to Winnicott staff that and, and leadership on their team that um, they truly had like a rebuild year, right? Coaches say, "Well, we're rebuilding," and you know that's always code for we're just not going to be very good this year, <laughs> right? And Winnicott truly kind of had a rebuilding year, right? They they might have taken their lumps, but they didn't let it get them down. They stuck to program. They didn't they didn't you know abandon their system. Um, you know, they kept the consistency with what they're doing. And, you know, the result was, hey, they, they beat their rival twice. I mean, it's hard to beat your rival once, let alone beat a good team that's your rival twice in one season. It's very, very difficult. Well, you know, and, and, you know, you were mentioning time of possession and the rushing yardage and getting the ball to seven different ball carriers. Let's face it, they out-exited exit. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly yeah. <laughs> what Exeter does to teams. Yeah. That's exactly what's made Exeter great for the past 20 years. They twice now beat Exeter basically at their own game, which is no small feat. No, of course not. And it, it's kind of, yeah, it's amazing when you really think about that. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, the, um, you know, if you look at it, to me, it's kind of like they've, they've kind of turned the tables now, you know, that, that, you know, I think, I think Exeter holds the all time series, uh, in terms of win there, wins there, but but Winnicott has kind of had the the upper hand the last couple of years, and and probably even going back to 2017, um, you know. And on the other side of the bracket, you've got a, a, a Londonderry team. I think that could probably say the same thing, um, you know, in their uh, rivalry with uh, with Pinkerton. Um, you know, uh, I think they'd lost something what like 20 in a row, or or had gone 20 years without beating Pinkerton. And now they've won, I think, five in a row, including uh, playoffs. Um, but then you look at their semifinal matchup, and you know Salem, um, you know, has had the last two times at least had Londonderry's number in not just had their number, but I think Londonderry in the the you know the game they lost at Salem earlier this year, 
And then the quarterfinal game they lost to him a year ago. Um, I think Londonderry had a combined ten turnovers in the in uh, five in each of those games. Um, yeah. You know, and then you come out in in this one, and in a lot of ways, this this game, Londonderry Salem uh, semifinal here, that that Londonderry ended up hanging on to win twenty eight twenty one, um, in a game that was, I you know I thought for sure it was over. It was twenty eight to seven with four minutes left. Um, yeah. You know, so they they are able to hang on. Londonderry is, but in a couple, in some ways, it was it was bizarro land. Um, you know, like I said, mentioned the fumbles, or excuse me, the turnovers. Yeah, this one was was Salem with the turnovers. They had three lost fumbles in the first half of that game. Uh, they really shot themselves yeah. with turnovers, and and all three of them Londonderry scored off of to to go up 12, yep. 12 nothing in the first half. But that was the weird thing was that it was only twelve to nothing um, because Londonderry just was was then shooting itself in the foot with penalties. Um, had 11 for 91 yards for the entire game, six for 60 in the first half. Um, you know, after getting one of those fumbles back, they had a drive where uh, they got called for intentional grounding on on second down. So it yep. was like third and 25, um, and uh, and and Drew Heenan takes a snap and runs for 25 yards and gets the first down. Um. But then on the next play, or I'm, excuse me, I'm sorry, no, he ran for 24 yards, so they're facing fourth and one. The next play, he he runs for two yards, gets the first down, but Londonderry gets called for a hold. Um, so it's they get pushed back. They don't get the first down. They end up kicking a field goal. Um, you know, and that's that was a lot of that that half. Um, you know, was, was Londonderry doing something good and then doing something bad? And then Salem kind of bailing them out a little bit with the fumbles. Um, you know, Salem, you know, only had five penalties for the game, but two of them were personal fouls that were incredibly costly. One came on a drive that, um, you know, that, uh, the, the Blue Devils were finally able to move the ball a little bit. You know, they had a great opening drive that ended with a fumble and then they kind of seemed to lose a lot of steam there late in the first half. They had another one that ended up stalling out because of a personal foul. And then in the second half, they had another drive that kind of stalled out um, because of a personal foul. Um, so it wasn't like yeah. they were making big mistakes in, with penalties. It was just they were killer mistakes when they happened. Um, you know, and you're looking at the at the stats too. Um, Londonderry outrushed Salem three thirty two to seventy one. Um, yeah, I, I had Salem. That's the big stat yeah. of the game. Well, but then you look at the other the the flip of that. Um, Salem had two hundred and forty eight yards passing to eight for Londonderry right which i mean I, that would have been and, tough and the, to believe going into it and the salem the salem uh passing yards that was almost all on big plays it's not like right, they yeah. were kind of ripping the ball around the field and you know they got 12 yards here eight yards you know it wasn't like watching a a Sauhegan game right where they're gonna get you for 15 here get you for six there get you for 24 there you know boom 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 boom, boom you know intermediate deep short it was like play action, bang it deep down the middle. Uh, I forget the 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 uh, it, is it Ayers um, uh, the really deep one. Yeah, they had a couple. Of, well, they had a couple to start out with. He yeah, he had to the first two receptions. One was a a thirty nine yard catch, and then the, the second was an eighty five yard touchdown from. Uh, That's the one I was thinking yeah, of, right? Uh, Noah Mustafa to to Tommy Ayers, uh, and that one that one really was at a key moment. Um, you know, because Londonderry opened the second half with, like, a, um, how long was their drive? They opened the second half with a 17-play drive that took up over nine minutes. Yeah, um, it was like the whole yeah the whole quarter the, was gone. The whole third quarter, but they they end up uh, turning it over on downs um, at Salem's 18, and then you know first play they Salem comes out they run they lose three yards, and then next play. Uh, Mustafa hits Ehlers for an 85-yard touchdown um, to make it 12-7. Uh, to 7. And it's like, okay, all right, Salem's got all the momentum now. We're, you know, this is a football game. And what does Londonderry do? They come back, return the kickoff to midfield. Uh, one play, Heenan picks up 15 yards. Next play, he goes 47 yards for a touchdown. And now it's 20-7. Uh, it's to 7. Yeah. So it was it was such a huge swing there. Um, and then, like I said, you know, late in the game, it felt like, 
Um, you know, Salem turns turns the ball over on downs deep in their end. Um, Londonderry scores. Matthew Perrin gets the second of his two touchdowns. It's 28-7 with, with 4-14 left. And then all of a sudden, um, Salem becomes the greatest show on turf. You know, they're, they're yeah. throwing the ball all over the place. Um, they go right down the field, score on a, uh, a one-yard touchdown run by uh, Aiden McDonald. It's, uh, it's 28-14 with a minute and a half left. Um, the onside kick takes a funny bounce, hits off a Londonderry kid, and goes right back to a Salem kid. They get the ball yeah, back. Yeah, textbook. I, yeah, textbook, I mean, it, drill it right to the kid. I don't get the rebound. The thing was though, as I don't even think it was like intentionally drilled at a kid. It just it took such a weird bounce. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 one of those like, well, only a football could do that kind of bounces. Um, and then again, Salem goes right down the field again, throwing the ball. Um, this time Mustafa hits uh, Caleb Bates for a what was an incredible one one handed catch right in the back corner of the end zone, um, you know, that, that makes it 28-21. And, um, yeah, they just uh, – Londonderry was able to get the, the next onside kick, and, and that was the end of the game. It, it was just a, a crazy finish, um, you know, going from a game that was like, yeah, this, this is pretty much over too. holy crap, yeah. if they get this onside kick, the way, you know, the way things have been going, anything's possible. Right. Yeah, I, I obviously I wasn't there, but I, I watched the the replay um, on w- whatever it was on, right? One of the one uh, of the groups that uh, Friday Night Lights I know was there. The, yes, I, that was who it was. They do they do a really good job of uh, you know the broadcasts, so to speak, right? I know it's not really probably a broadcast, but um, it, it, yeah, and, and you know the only thing that I I, I kind of felt I don't know if this is the right way to put it. I, I don't even say I felt bad for them, like I you know. Like I had pity on them or something, right? But I, I kind of felt bad for Salem in that it, it, it felt like, you know, they were they were being diligent, they were sticking to their game plan, they were trying to get their guys going, and it, it and it really just wasn't working for them. And it was like they found out just a hair too late what was going to work. Yeah, right, right. You know, in that fourth quarter when they sort of exploded, um, and you know they they were able to move the ball well vertically in the passing game, but they were also kind of like flipping the ball out to their backs into the, into the flat areas and stuff off a of play action, right? Kind of letting them get lost out there and then flipping it out and they'd go and, you know, grab, you know, 12 to 14 yards in a first down or something, right? And it was like, oh, you know, how, how much different would the game might have been if they had figured that out a little earlier? Yeah, yeah. Because they just weren't able to get you know, the, the ground game going the way that they, they have all season. And, and again, it's like I said, I, I sort of have nothing but sympathy for that, right? I mean, you don't want to, you know, you, you know when you have such talented backs um, that you've got to give them carries, right? You've got to kind of stick to what got you to the dance. And, right. uh, you know, I think I think they tried, but Londonderry's defense was really, really well-schooled, and they – you know, they weren't going to allow that to happen, right? I mean, Salem tried the off-tackle power game. It was there a little bit, but nothing consistent. They tried getting the ball outside on those wide pitches that they do where they just try to outflank you and, and get out there quick. And, you know, the Londonderry team's speed and their and their tackling was just tremendous, really. Um, and they just couldn't get that rolling, no matter how many creative ways they tried to get it going. You know, you, you're talking about um, yeah, figuring that out too late. I mean, I guess the one, maybe one second, second guess you can make. I mean, Salem, Salem had to burn a timeout um, early in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I'm trying to remember what exactly it was, but I, I, I'm blanking on it. But there was some miscommunication. Um, they had to take a timeout then, and then they they ended the game with with one still in their pocket. You know, so right. maybe they take it, take have those other two timeouts to take somewhere, you know, during one of those drives just to save a little bit of the clock. Um, you know, that makes a bit of a difference, I would think. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, that's again, that's that's <laughs> that's the job for you and I, right? We we to second guess uh, uh, those kind of things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you never know, right? Maybe they, you know they they felt really good about hey, we've got one timeout left if we score here and get another onside kick and. You know, yeah. If it had gone that way, we would have been uh, 
we would have been praising them for being smart about and keeping it in the their pocket. Out, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. If they, you know, they, yeah. If they get the onside kickback and, and maybe they've got about uh, 17 seconds left, they can, they can throw a shorter pass and call the timeout. So, right. Yeah. See, that's put yourself in better position yeah. to take a shot, whatever you had to do, you know, I think the other thing too, that was really pretty amazing about that game was uh, Drew Heenan's performance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny because to look at him, he he's built more like a running back <laughs> yeah. than a quarterback, right? I mean, he's not he's not sort of you know a lot of the New Hampshire quarterbacks these days are sort of a, a you know like a taller, lankier type guy. Um, Heenan's like a bowling ball. Yeah, you know, you could tell that he spent time in the weight room. He's he's you know he's pretty well put together. He can move really well, and he had you had him at almost two hundred yards oh, rushing, yeah. almost two hundred yards. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say it like that because, because um, you know, Jimmy Lozon said the same thing after the game that he's he's a running back who can throw the ball. Uh, right. You know, he has got um, a surprisingly good arm for, and I, and I say that not you know as like you said because he's he's built more like a running back. Um, but then when he got, I mean, he didn't. Again, he went. You know, was I had him for two and nine for eight yards and an interception. Um, but I mean, he throws a nice ball. Um. I'm sorry. Yeah, two of nine. Yeah, I'm I'm can't, I'm losing it tonight. Um, see, but yeah, the, for him to step up, you know, and and again, he was um, you know, he he filled in a lot this year for for Aiden Washington while while he was hurting and and is out now. Um, but yeah, it was a, a he looked like a, a veteran back there, like he'd been playing the position for for years, and uh, and and knew everything that was coming at him. Yeah, he really. I, I had the same impression, right? He really did a nice job controlling the offense. There were, you know, periods where you know he was, the ball handling was great, right? Like he'd make a great fake on a jet sweep and pull it and run, or um, you know, whatever he had to do. But he he looked poised, and you know, he's he's very good at finding the openings and just hitting them. You know, a lot of that quarterback run game in the in the spread is sort of you know, allowing something to develop that looks like it's going to go outside, you know, whether it's a jet sweep or a, a stretcher or, or whatever, right? And then they just sort of find that little seam and get up in it. And, man, he was really good at finding just the right way to hit those openings and hit it with everything he had. And, uh, again, the results are, you know, 200 yards rushing for your quote-unquote backup quarterback. Um, not a bad deal. No. The real the question will be now, Will they be able to find those openings against Winnicott's defense on Saturday? But that is a question right. we will answer later this week because, as we said, we're going to do a very special uh, championship preview uh, later on this week. That will be uh, uh, up on the website on Friday. Um, yeah. Oh, You're killing me, Joe, because these are all teams now that I've seen a bunch. I've seen them on film. <laughs> And so, like, I keep wanting to say, well, you know, if Winnicott does this, but I can't do that because we're going to have the special show on Friday. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to have to save it. We're going to have to save it, let it marinate. Maybe maybe, um, maybe something else will come to us before then, and, and we'll have even even more in-depth analysis, or, you know, maybe we'll, we'll forget to write it down, and, and when we go to do this, we'll forget what we were going to say. For me, that's more likely. I, I will get worse as the week goes on. I know that's hard to believe, and I, all the brilliant nuggets that I would have had today will be lost by the time well, hopefully, <laughs> by the, time the next show rolls around. Hopefully not. We'll 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 pray for for that not to happen. I'll uh, be good. I'll, I'll make sure I do my homework. All right. Well, he is uh, Mike Lockman. Mike, thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. I am Joe Marcellino, and we will talk to you again later this week. Um, when we get ready for those championship games. Thanks again for listening.